Hello, listeners. Welcome back to IPA Sessions. I know it's been a while, but I appreciate the month-long hiatus. Gave me time to get some things together, and I'm super excited to be back to share with you guys a very special interview with an amazing guest, Liz Destro. She is an indie movie producer, and she shares with us her journey and what it took for her to make it along the way. This is an excellent conversation. She, in my humble opinion, is one of the modern-day pioneers of women in this industry, and I'm super excited to have had her as a guest on this show. So tune in and enjoy. Welcome to IPA Sessions. Welcome to IPA Sessions, a podcast for independent artists. I'm your host, Kay Jacob. And as always, this is a place where I like to provide inspirations for practical application and entertainment. And today I'm really excited to bring to you for the first time a producer to the show. I have an independent producer for a ton of high quality, amazing films that are out there. This lady does not mess around. She is behind a lot of Kevin Smith films. She's behind one of my favorite zombie films, Life After Beth. I'd really love to welcome to the show independent producer Liz Destro. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> hi, Liz. Thank you so much for coming on and taking a time out of your busy schedule. I'm really excited to have you here because you are a true independent artist. You started out, you know, working your way uh, to the top where you are now. And what we're going to discuss today is about your journey and your personal experience in getting to that point. So I really want to dive deep into this conversation with you about your journey as an indie artist, you know, coming up in the in the film world and doing all the hard work that you've put in. Can you kind of just tell us a little bit about yourself, though, before we get into everything? Just, you know, who are you and, and what all you do? Well, I'm an independent film producer and I live in LA and I run a small production company. And I typically make one to two shows a year. I've been diving into TV a little bit more recently. And yeah, that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Um, So how did your journey start for you? What what made you kind of get into filmmaking? What what made you become a producer? I don't think it was like such a through line for as most people um, or like that I mean, I definitely was always into arts. I was a ballet dancer. I was like, uh, went to NYU to do art, and I wasn't really sure which if that was going to be dance or super into musicals. I thought maybe I would be in in musicals um, as like a an artist, a singer and dancer type thing. So I went to NYU, and while I was there, I you know was in the film space. I was in the dance space. I was all over the place. I was I uh, was in College of Arts and Sciences for a minute. I did. I kind of just wanted to explore everything. I was really unclear what I wanted to do with myself. And I had a really good friend there who was in the film space or in the film school. And, um, and they were making really weird, fun art. And so I would help them a lot with they had a public access TV show. Um, I thought that was really cool. They did that every week. And, you know, I was kind of just exploring everything. And then right after NYU, I went to law school, I was still really confused about what I wanted to do. But my parents were like, we'll pay for it if you go now. I think they were like, this what, this, this girl's going to go make really weird stuff if we just let her into the world. <laughs> so, um, so, Might need that law degree. <laughs> yeah. so I was like, and I actually am like one of the rare people who like really loves school. Like I loved going to NYU. I took way more classes than most people. I Every semester took the most you could take and then I would audit other classes. I just really, I like enjoy learning. And so I went to law school. I did focus on entertainment while I was at law school. and worked on other people's shows in my spare time. And it wasn't until after law school that I went and a my friend was making a movie and he's like, you should just come and see if you want to, this is what you want to do. And I did that and I worked on that movie and I loved every minute of it. And then from there on, I just continued to make movies. Awesome. Uh, so you mentioned you had your own production company. What's the name of that? And also, how did you go about creating this production company? I mean, it wasn't, it's not a very big production company. It's just me and my assistant and and a few employees here and there. But I basically set that up in 2014, um, just to be able to uh, acquire scripts and work on scripts. And so that I could, you know, manage all the projects under one roof. That's kind of cool. I like that. That company ends up getting credits on, you know, numerous like 
Clerks three and you know big movies all if they, if it's my if it's a movie that I've uh, you know I found or I I mean obviously I didn't find Clerks three that was a big you know, <laughs> yeah before I was probably you know before I was ever involved but uh, if I am heavily involved in the production my company will get a credit as well as myself was uh, Life After Beth I saw that it came out around 2014 was that one of your first ones for the production house or was it the I honor list think, I think I just created that right after right after that movie so I don't think that movie has my logo on it but maybe it does i don't know i can't remember that was that was a long time ago <laughs> it's okay yeah we're, we're diving deep i know you've been doing a lot of work a lot of work lately and it's been awesome oh thank you i appreciate that no and i, I think it's great too especially as a as a female in the industry and i know that you're a, a, a mom of a two-year-old so congratulations yeah. oh, on that it's you, a fun yeah. world as a parent <laughs> mine's six enjoy the twos yeah it's definitely <laughs> every like my the way that I see my career and also what I'm willing to do or not do it since I've had a baby. Right. It, it's really, it's really cool that like, uh, I've noticed for me, my, my son, you know, I'm a stepdad and he came into my life and it's, beautiful. it's become this huge motivator for me that like, kind of like made me want to step it up into high gear. Cause not only do I love, you know, my, my girlfriend, but now mm-hmm. I've, I've really gone to love my son and like what he motivates me to do. And you're right. It helps you put things in perspective about like all the time. Cause you know, in the entertainment world, when we're working our nine to five job, creating film, it's, it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of work. And I was ready to step up and find something that was more, um, you know, livable. (laughs) I wanted to be able to spend time with my kid. And I, I, thankfully, um, through a mutual friend, which we know I work for in my locations world, I went from PA to locations. And so I'm able to finally have a little bit more time, which is great. Do you find yourself as a producer still working those extreme hours? Are you able to get a little bit more time for yourself now because you can kind of call the shots? I mean, for me, it's, there are so many levels of where it's changed. I've, I've had to learn to say no because I, even as an independent producer, and I know that it seems like I'm super successful, but I'm always like struggling to figure out what the next thing is and always nervous that there won't be a next thing just like everybody else. And, uh, you know, but I have had to learn to say no, where in the past without a child, I was like, I would just say yes to everything, not everything, but, you know, if somebody offered me something or, if there was something really cool, even though it was going to make no money, I would still attach myself to it. And I would still spend endless hours doing it just because of the love of the art. And I still have that love of the art, but I really like, I can't justify being away from him if for, you know, three months, unless I'm getting paid a significant amount of money. So I, now I've really limited myself to one to two things a year that I feel really passionate about that um, I can either bring him with me or, is here. My last show was here in LA, which was huge for me. Yeah, that's, you know, so it's, it's definitely changed what I can actually accomplish in a day. But I've, you know, feel so fulfilled by, by just being his mom. That's awesome. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to not take him to school. So it has to be something that's really worth missing that to do, to do that. And I love that you're, you're pursuing a career while also putting your family first, which is for a lot of people, you know, especially for a struggling artist out there, that's important to us is because we have family and, you know, yeah. you want to make sure you have the time to spend with them. And like you said, learning to say no to certain things, like you, you do have to make sacrifices at times. Yeah. And I think that's smart because you, in the end, films come and go, but your children and your family, they're always going to be there. And so you really want them to remember you. So I think that's really cool, Liz. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. (laughs) Um, All right. I want to, I want to get back into uh, your, your early career here. Um, Your first couple of steps uh, into the producing world. Something I like to discuss is finances, because I I think as an artist, it's important to know that, you know, you're going to, a lot of times we've noticed, especially with a lot of my guests, it's you pay for a lot of it. You put a lot of money and time into it yourself. It's self-funded and and not a lot of payback or, you know, rewards, so to speak, but you do have a successful career now, uh, as you mentioned, you know, you just came off of clerks three, you have more films in the work. I'm sure. Um, I even think I saw that you, you now have a TV series up, which is awesome looking. I'm gonna have to check that out. I think it's called swimming with the sharks. It looked awesome. Uh, so you're really expanding for, for yourself. But what I, what I want to discuss though, is how did you go about in the beginning 
making this happen? What, what was the finances? How did you get all this together to produce these films? Because your works, even your short films, they're all super high quality. They look great. It's all independently funded. Can you kind of take me through that, that process of what you can share and for anyone out there wanting to do what you do, some kind of helpful tips for us? Yeah. I mean, those, that's a lot of questions in one, but as far as, the I mean, fun- I'm sorry, just, uh, no, no, just kind of take us through your process. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as financing independent film, I, I wouldn't say that there's one way or a wrong way or, you know, when you're first getting started, you kind of just have to scrape around and, and get what you can to make your movie. I do think it's harder to do that these days than it was when I was coming up because there wasn't this abundance of films that there is now. Like that now there's all these streamers. There's all like, there's so many people making movies and so many people making content. But back when I was starting, it was people were still shooting on film a lot of my first film was on film, you know, um, there wasn't like as this abundance of digital film, there was more people who might be willing to invest in an independent film because it was more of a novelty than it is now. A lot more people know about independent film and the risks involved in independent film, I think now than they did then there was also like a, you know, maybe I'm crazy, but it just seemed like raising straight equity was a little bit easier than, than it is today. But I think that's also a symptom of there being so, so many buyers. And so when you go to Sundance now, instead of like, you know, a handful of movies selling for a couple million dollars here and there, and then some selling for $500,000 or some selling for $4 million. Now you have like four films getting sold for huge amounts of money and all these other ones not selling at all. And so that's causing a rift where people aren't really willing to gamble with their money in the same way that they used to. Mm. But as far as shorts are concerned, I really think I really believe in shorts and I have made quite a few shorts and I've made way more than you see on my IMDb. But like, I really believe that uh, uh, shorts a can like help propel a career. If you look at something like Smilf that Frankie Shaw did that, that led to the TV show that she made, that was amazing. But I also think that For a filmmaker, a short really teaches you, for people who don't have the experience of doing numerous shorts in college, for whatever reason, or if they didn't go to a film school, going from paper to camera is something that I think a lot of people lack that experience. And it really changes the way that you develop things creatively when you're making a movie. When when I get a script, like I can read something now and know that's really funny on paper, but I don't think that will work on screen where before you were just trying everything to see if it will work. (laughs) So I I think that doing that exercise of actually writing something, developing it, and then shooting it, even if it's completely unwatchable and unbearable, teaches you way more than anything else, I think, in this business. So, I mean, we made tons of unwatchable shorts. (laughs) That's the journey. That's the process, right? Process. And then you know what works and doesn't work. And you're like, oh, no, I already tried that, like, we got to use this camera and this light, you know, like everyone's learning together. So, and you only learn from experience. So you just have to keep creating. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And I, and I love that, you know, what you said, it, it really does help back up a lot of what uh, some of our short filmmakers on here have said before is just go out there and do it. And you learn in the moment, a lot of the times, like what's happening yeah. um, and, and how to become better and, you know, listen to the feedback, be open to cre- uh, critique and, and, you know, you don't have to accept every negative review, but just listen to what they're saying. And that might help you develop and become better. Yeah. Thank you for that. Also, you know, you mentioned with, you know, the way that they do things now, do you think in any way that social media uh, influencers or streamers or YouTubers plays a big role in the way that investments are done now? I mean, this is going to age me, but I don't really know that much about that space. So I can't really comment on that. I do think that the marketplace has shifted significantly as far as indies are concerned. Like the ones that the films I'm seeing get made in abundance right now are like big action movies Um, genre movies you know the straight up like indie drama is like not getting any love right now so like you know if you're going to make one of those even if you make it with a really big star you're you're not gonna probably get that much money to make it so you really have to be careful about what you're creating i mean and that's the downside i think to an independent film is like i'm always like torn between making something that maybe I don't really want to make um versus and and make money and you know stay in the space or or do I try to keep you know pushing a, a rock up the hill for something that like nobody seems to want to attach or like 
no distributor or no major studio wants to attach themselves to because the risk of making those movies now is that you won't get distribution and that would be devastating. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny that you said that about, you know, indie films, they have changed. And I, I follow a lot of horror. I'm a big horror fan. Okay. Uh, and even in the independent horror world, it does feel like the genre itself is slowly starting to change. But you're right. It feels like a lot of independent films nowadays kind of have a, um, a Hollywood block, you know, summer blockbuster feel to them, which is unique. And it's good for the indie world because I'm glad that a lot of these movies are finally getting made because it's people that, you know, probably wouldn't get a chance to work for Hollywood films are getting a chance to put something out there of that caliber. But you're right. At the same time, you, you, it does feel like you're starting to lose a little bit of the the indie world that it used to be. But everything changes. Yeah. Indie for me was always we're making movies that the studios don't want to make. Exactly. But now it feels like pe- indies are still now trying to lean into, well, we need to make the movies that they want to make <laughs> so that they'll buy them. <laughs> exactly. So it's, uh, it's getting a little, a little odd, you know, like if you look at like, you know, the living wake or like the little hours, some of these movies that clearly are totally bonkers that like no studio would ever make. We made them, but we had to make them for such little money because we didn't know what the market was going to be for them. And they did sell and they did really well. But in now that getting making those has become infinitely harder. Yeah. And you know, I, I love that you do make films like that because I'm a fan of, um, you know, trashy B cinema. So anything that's yeah. out there and weird and wild, I want to watch it uh, just because it is different. And I want to see that, you know, I want to invest my money into that. I want to, you know, buy that on Blu-ray and have it to show to others. Like I want to have a good time. I want to see something different that, you know, I can turn my brain off and just enjoy. And at the same time is great quality and looks good and and has good acting and, you know, putting actors in a position to be weird and out there, you know, quirky, odd humor. I love that stuff. Yeah. And to see that that trend, you know, I'm hoping with the success recently of one of those films like that, I believe it's a, everything and everywhere all at once, you know, I'm hoping that maybe Hollywood studios and indie filmmakers will start to take a chance on more unique and original content because you do see a trend in a lot of reboots and remakes. And I feel like we're starting to lose the originality of just tell a story, just have fun with it. And you're right. The indie world used to do that. We just had fun with it. Yeah. It didn't have to be perfect. It just needed to be enjoyable. Exactly. Yeah. We're just having this exact debate with somebody else at lunch. And part of me is, optimistic and like like you and like hopes that that you know a movie like that is going to prompt more risk in yes financing but the other part of me is seeing the trend of like okay well they just did that and like maybe the safi brothers or like some of these other people who are doing cool movies like let's just give them money and let them make those over and over again and then but and then like that have those be the niche and then like right. we're still invest we're not going to invest in other like new people that like they've never heard of, you know, like they wait, they wait till someone's successful and then they'll just dump money at them forever. Right. It's like the Coen brothers started off that way yeah. with their earlier films. And, yeah. and I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm still a fan. I love a lot of their work and what they yeah. do, but they had that, that feeling, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, you know, you had these quirky odd, I mean, to this day, the big Lebowski still has a huge cult following and it's a very quirky, odd, abnormal comedy. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we do get to see more like that, but it might be one of those things where they might just end up being like the Coen brothers where it's like just them making these films, Yeah, which I'll still take. I'll take it because at least I'm getting original content and it's from creators I enjoy, but I would love to see other creators get that chance to do more, uh, to cover all genres and aspects would be neat, you know, be different. (laughs) Yeah. It'd be nice to see that. And, you know, so if, if you don't mind, I'd love to, to pick your brain about, um, working with established creators like Kevin Smith, uh, what was that like for you? And how did you get yourself into that position to work with a major independent director like that? There was a point where I had a financier that was um, financing um, some of my movies and they were also financing some of Kevin Smith stuff and they were going to be doing a movie with him. And so they asked me if I would come on and produce it because they, he didn't have like a physical producer at that point. So I did that. And it was interesting. It was definitely interesting. Uh, I would say that like that movie solidified our relationship to the point where we, we didn't, uh, we didn't always see eye to eye. We, we definitely got into it a few times and, and uh, you know, I think he saw me more as like a, somebody that the studio brought on to oversee it. And I don't think he liked that, but through that experience, we both grew to really trust each other and, and like 
he really opened my eyes to like his version of how you like, I was very like, this isn't how you make a movie. This is how you make, you know, and like, he's like, I've been making movies forever. Who are you? You know? And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, all right. And like, I had to like, let go of all of the things that I thought needed to happen to make a movie. And then he kind of had to like, trust me. And, and, and some things where I was like, this is where I have to draw the line. And, uh, but now like we have such a great respect and love for each other. And I think it's just a magical relationship. I'll do anything that he asked me to do. Cause he's so genuine and just a really, really decent, amazing human being, which is very, very rare in this business. Yeah. And, uh, I think he's extremely creative and yeah. And some people either love or hate his movies, but I don't think anyone's going to have a bad thing to say about him. Once you meet him, it's, he's a great artist and somebody like everybody wants to be on his sets. I mean, I'm a fan. I would love to work on his sets. (laughs) People who like are the top of their game will come work for no money because they know what it's like to work on his movies. That's cool. So we, you know, we often get these amazing crews on these small movies that I'm like, I would die to have some of these people on my, on my other movies that I have twice as much money on, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) but they like love Kevin and yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastical world when you're working with him. I think that's amazing to hear, especially as, as someone who's a fan of his, uh, to hear how just genuine he can be. And I think it's awesome to hear, you know, your own perspective of things being in a position where you had to take a moment to to really work with someone and you took the time to actually listen to them. And not only did you take the time, but it sounds like he took the time to listen to you. And I think that's awesome that you guys were able to basically shake hands and work together. Yeah. Um, that's a great way to build a relationship, to, to build career and you've done three films with him and of course on top of your own you know imdb list you've done so many other works so you do have knowledge you do know what you're doing i think that's incredible (laughs) (laughs) but uh i know i think we've both learned a lot from each other and i think that's all you can really hope for with a movie is like you don't want to like i don't want to work with uh directors again and again who like just want me to like hire the crew or like I want there to be a mutual respect and a mutual like collaboration. And of course he's created these worlds and he knows these worlds better than anyone. And he'll, he'll make fun of me because I will be like, I don't like, I don't get half the jokes, but that's part of the fun of it because you know, you want, you want the insider jokes, but you don't want them too much because then (laughs) like the broad audience won't get them. So I'm I'm a good, like, uh, you know, I'm a good middle ground fan. Like I'm not like an obsessed fan who's going to pick up on everything. And I'm not somebody who's not a fan, (laughs) but, uh, but so I think it's a, it's good to have that kind of uh, buffer and like, know, you know, what people are picking up on and not picking up on and and not just make a movie for a specific group of people. Cause of course he's making them for his fans, but you know, as a producer and and Kevin as a, you know, a very, um, established filmmaker wants everyone to watch his movies. Right. I mean, it's, I love his films, but my girlfriend is, you know, she has her own taste. She has her own unique, you know, viewing experience. And so I love that we get to watch a movie together. And when it's something like that, where I get to enjoy it and I can see the inside jokes, but she also gets to enjoy it because she's just laughing and enjoying what's happening without needing the inside joke information, which that part she may not laugh at, but the rest of the film, she's busting her ass laughing, which is great. Like we get to enjoy a film together. I'm really proud of Clerks 3 for that because I feel like it is for everybody. Like you could, you could even not have seen the first two movies and still love Clerks 3. Um, And that was kind of a goal, I think for everybody involved in Lionsgate included was that it was a universal type film about you know, losing a friend and, you know, people who had seen the prior two movies were like devastated. But if you, even if you hadn't, you, you could still feel all the things you needed to feel and understand the story completely. Well, and it's risky. It's very risky to, to mess with a franchise, in my opinion, a franchise like that, but it's also, it has heart and, and you're, you're speaking to not just the fans, but to new viewers. So it's risky, but it seems like it paid off and that's good. Yeah. And it's also so personal to him because he did have a heart attack and, and he almost died. And so the story really had like true meaning to him. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, not that he had a heart attack, but you know, the the truth behind it, that's, that's unique. Thank you for sharing that by the way. And thank you for coming on today and sharing these experiences with us. Uh, I really appreciate you being here. This is a part of the show where I'm going to get into some fun conversations with you now. Uh, Just ask a couple of questions about your experience in general, you know, throughout your, your history of what you've been doing, uh, how you've been going about it. Um, These are 
pretty simple questions, but we're going to discuss the ups and downs. So my first question to you is throughout your career uh, as an independent producer, especially in the beginning of your career when you started out, what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome? And maybe maybe even to this day, as established as you are, it's something you're still working on. That's a tough one. I think from the get-go, it's always just to be heard and to, to, you know, like I said earlier, like I, I talk to a lot of younger producers or especially women. I try to mentor as many as I can, but I always feel like they're like, well, when is this going to happen for me? Or like, will there be another one? And like, I, everyone, like every filmmaker feels that every filmmaker, no matter how successful you are, has things that they really want to make and really want to accomplish and like have this like fire to to get those things made. And like, I still have that. I have so many things that like, I really want to do and really want to get made, but those aren't the things that are getting the attention. So I need to like focus my energy over here to like make something else. And then I go back to that. So I feel like that's, I think that's the problem that will always, if you're a true artist and a true filmmaker, you're always going to have that drive to make more and do more and be better. Um, If you're like content with like just making like a cookie cutter film over and over again, like, I think that's more for money or for something else. Like that's not the true drive of an independent filmmaker. So I feel like that is always going to be the big hurdle of, you know, trying to, trying to always be able to create the things that you want to create. And I, I feel like no matter what, as a producer, you like you've, you've looked at my IMDb, you know, the films that kind of films that I make, and you're kind of creating a brand for your films. But of that list, there's like 15 movies that I've, would die to make that I, I really would that I consider part of would be considered part of my brand. But then there's films that I make that are outside of that because I, I need to make money or because I like got offered it and I really like the producer or like, I really like the director. So I'll, I'll do those movies. So it's always trying to weigh like weigh those things. Cause you, you do get judged by what you're creating and if something bombs or if it doesn't work or oh, yeah. I go and make some like really horrible, you know, action movie, like, Will that hurt my career? I don't know. But like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just always that, that, that kind of balance of trying to figure out what's right for you to do with also trying to maintain like a life and buy a house and have a kid and do all those things that everybody wants to do. But I also think being a woman in this industry is, is, is a constant conflict of, uh, <laughs> of, th- of hurdles that you need to get over. And I think it's definitely gotten better. I remember this one Sundance. I think I said this on a panel before and I, Oh, I believe it was for the little hours. And I had two financiers who were on the trip with us and we were, we were going from room to room or room, like meeting to meeting, uh, meeting with different distributors who were making offers on the movie. And so it was, I wouldn't say it was a bidding war, but it was like numerous people made offers. So we were hearing them all out. Yeah, it's pretty cool though. It's pretty it's fun. Exciting. It's definitely exciting. But every time we went into the room with these people, they would address the two male financiers. And they would never address me. Like they, Ooh. I was the producer. They never would like look me in the eye. And I, and to the defense or like to the acknowledgement of these two uh, AEPs, one of them eventually was like, she's the producer. Tell her what you're going to do. Like, don't tell her. Holy shit. Like, That's I was nuts. Like, so, so happy that he called it out. Cause I was feeling like even one person thought I was their assistant. Like it constantly would happen at these, these types of meetings. And now like I'd say, most of them now that we I go to, there's some women there and it's not as crazy, but it used to be you just go meeting to meeting, all men and me. Wow. So you really did break out the industry there. You're a pioneer. In I that. wouldn't say that, but there's definitely some amazing <laughs> female filmmakers out there. But um, it was definitely a situation that wasn't that long ago. That was like, you know, 2018, 2019. Oh it God. wasn't like, you know. That's ridiculous. I don't know, 16, I don't know. I'm getting my years confused, but it, was, it wasn't it was that long ago. <laughs> still, I mean, anything past 2010 and even before 2010, yeah. it's still ridiculous to, to be is. approached that yeah. way, yeah. especially when you're in a room and it's you've got three people there. Why on earth would they think the assistant's there to, to talk business? You yeah. Know? Why, why would he even go that direction? Um, yeah. That's, damn, that's insulting. It was, uh, um, crazy, but yeah. good on you. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That definitely <laughs> opened my mind. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that you have to face over and over again in, you know, in this industry, I feel like. I'm working on a movie right now with two amazing female execs, so obviously that doesn't happen in that context, but um, nice. And I'm sure, you know, but when we go to sell the movie, it will 
happen again, I'm sure. Right. Well, and I was going to say, it sounds like, you know, the a big challenge, you're right. A big challenge is balancing the art that you want to create as well as the career you want to develop because you're representing yourself, but also needing to build a career. You've got to get finance. So that's a huge challenge, but it also sounds like it's a huge challenge just simply being a woman in the entertainment business. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a double hit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not going to up on it too much, but it's like a only because, I mean, all all the women my age have been dealing with this since the beginning of their career. So it's not it's not something that's like, oh my gosh, this just 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 happened, or like, so everyone's pretty used to it. But it is something to acknowledge and to think about when you know, for especially for men going into these situations. Thank you for making me aware of that. And you know, <laughs> I I do appreciate because I, I have a sister, I have a yeah. fiance, I love. So I do appreciate that you're paving a way for other women to not have to deal with that as much. Like you said, you bring on your own women executives, and you hire uh, people to work for you to help give them that career opportunity that you made for yourself as well. So I think that's incredible. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing. I want to ask you now throughout your career. Uh, and again, we're through your, your early journey <laughs> of, of <laughs> establishing yourself. Uh, what is something unexpected you had to face? Maybe it's even something that you learned right then and there in the moment. It was unexpected. And you know, sometimes you, you have these moments where like you get into it and it's like, you know, what's going on, maybe like three or four films in, you, you know, the spill, you know, the routine, you know, the drill, but then and something just happens and you're like, what do I do? I mean, I wouldn't say this is unexpected, but I do feel like, I do feel like the more, I mean, obviously I said this before, the more you do something, the better that you get. And the more things that like every film, I feel like I, that I make, I'm learning something. Uh, I don't feel like I've gotten to the point where I'm like, oh, like, this is like, I can do this in my sleep. Like, I feel like there's new hurdles with every single movie. So maybe that's what was unexpected earlier in my career was that I thought that at a certain point it would be easier. <laughs> let's say. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, like, I think that um, that's like a situation where you're like, I still meet with other filmmakers and filmmakers who are doing amazing things and it just never gets easier. It's always going to be a struggle. It's always going, every movie is going to have its challenges and it's never going to just go super smoothly and everyone's happy with the movie and it just sells for a gazillion dollars. And then, you know, that over and over again, even the the best, like the, the movies that go the smoothest and the easiest and everybody likes them, there's still huge hurdles that you have to overcome on every, every film, whether that not that's personalities, whether or not that's the, you know, editorial uh, arguments or uh, an actor being really difficult or, you know, there's always going to be something. So I think maybe I thought that it was going to get easier to make these movies, but it's, it just, it's just more difficult in a, in a different way every time. I, I would say it, that's definitely unexpected is to expect that it's going to get easier. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um. Thank you. Again, I appreciate that. And I know that's a weird question sometimes, but you know, we, we have these routines that we deal with as artists that we're so used to that we're like, oh, I got this. But then, yeah. you know, every now and then something happens. And even when you have that routine of like, I got this, you're still, something's going to happen. Something's going to change and you have to adapt yeah, to I it. I think that we're better prepared. Like the more you do it, the more prepared you are for the, the strange things that are going to happen and you know how to deal with them in a better and more mature way or what, what have you. But you know, there's every movie is, is its own animal and has its own, own challenges. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so my last uh, sort of difficult question here, uh, just again, <laughs> I, I always like to start with the, the, the hard stuff, the, the annoying stuff, the bad okay. stuff. What's a hard reality you've had to deal with and accept something discouraging that you push through or resolve, you know, some things that you can't change, you just accept and you move forward. I mean, I know that you mentioned, you know, what it was like as a, as a woman in the business yeah. that, you know, there's that reality. Reality, but is there anything similar to that where it's like, this is just a fact and you just accept it and you move forward and you push through it? I, I do think that there is a little bit when you're first starting your career of like pushing boundaries and uh, wanting to do things, you know, it like kind of working outside the system a little bit. And I did that for plenty of years and know exactly how that works. Um, <laughs> and, you know, pushing boundaries and stuff like that, which I still feel like the films that I make do. But I think that I've become better at trying to do it within the system as, as, far, as far as like the studio system and stuff like that to like, I think at a certain point, you can't just make micro budget indies, like you have to kind of progress into the studio space uh, or distribution space in order to sustain your career. So there are realities to that, like who you hire, how you do things, like you can't just skirt the rules and 
and do any of that. So I think maybe that's one, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to answer that question specifically. <laughs> no, so. it's okay. It actually, it sounds like a, a hard reality is understanding your limitations. Yeah. Because exactly. that's what you were just describing is that, you know, there are certain things that you can and cannot do. Yeah. And so you have to accept that and figure out, all right, well, what am I limited to and how can I work around that? You know, expand those limits a little bit. Yeah. I also think that like when you're a younger filmmaker, this kind of, kind of blends into what you're saying. Like you're not as, I don't know how to explain it. Not, not that I was not open to help from other people, but now I feel like, I think there's like a territorial thing that happens with movies a little bit where it's like my movie like I'm producing it, I'm doing this. Yeah. Or like my baby, my project. Yeah, and uh, I think that that really fades away pretty quickly after a few movies. Um, I think that you quickly realize that it's it's really collaborative and it's really difficult, and so you do need you do need partners that you trust and like to do them with you, even if like that is a you know they won't do it exactly how you would do it or don't see eye to eye with you. I think that debate is healthy, and and good probably in the end best for the movie to have right. more more producers that really know what they're doing and like letting someone who has more experience come in and help you. And I think that's a hard lesson to learn. And I actually think that's the best for young filmmakers is to, is to really like I, when I was making really, really small movies, I would always say like, I think it's better to have four your four keys, like maybe your DP, your production designer, whoever it is, pay them a lot of money. And then they don't get any crew, unfortunately. Like, if you, <laughs> that can light himself. But if you're making a micro budget movie, do you want five people who really don't have any idea what they're doing, or one person that really knows what they're doing, even though it might take a little longer? And I always still believe in that. I still believe in like, if you're a, a first time filmmaker or a second time filmmaker or making a short, get someone super, super experienced and give them a little more control or a little more uh, reign of the project than maybe you normally would want to. But I think that um, that experience really, really helps. So like if you look at a movie like Joshi or um, some of these movies that were made for like, you know, under a million dollars, like there was barely any crew and Patrice Cochette who shot it is amazing and just an incredible DP and he lit the whole thing himself too. But that That's movie, awesome. Yeah, the movie looks fantastic. So I think I mean it depends on the movie and what you're doing. If you have tons of people in the movie and you need you need a big crew to wrangle everybody, then that's a whole different story. But, you know, I think bringing on producers and people who are more experienced than you is a huge asset. No, I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Especially as someone like myself, uh, again, it's another reason why I'm flattered that you're here today is because mm-hmm. I do want to eventually have fun and create my own production houses and, you know, work with friends and talented people out there who deserve a chance to, to, to get their, their work out there. Yeah. And I would love to produce and I have my own scripts that I write and it's like, yeah, I write them, but I'm not a visionary. I can't quite, you know, I know the story and what I want to tell, but I don't know if I can visually see it. And so I have friends that I trust that they know me, I know them and how they work and bring them on to direct it, bring them on to light it, like use their craft, use their talent. And you're right. It's a great hard reality to accept your limitations and what you're good at. So stretch out and use others, work with them, not use in a negative way, but you know, use their abilities and and give them that platform. It's like, all right, this is what I want. I trust your ability. And as a producer, I want to be someone that can say, what do you need? What do we need to do to make this happen? And and I, I love that, that, thought process. So again, thank you for sharing that part. I really appreciate that. Okay. Now some fun stuff. (laughs) Again, uh, throughout your journey and throughout your career, what is the most valuable takeaway that you've learned from your entire experience? You know, something that helped you grow and improve as an artist, as a producer? I think one thing personality wise that or just in general, I think, I don't know if this is really irrelevant, but I feel like I've become way less reactionary, which has helped my creative process significantly. Um, I think I used to react to things like very instinctually, like, oh, that doesn't work or this works. Or I think now I take a step back and then I think about it for a minute and I, I really internalize why it is or is not working. And then I'm able to vocalize that in a a much more constructive way. And I think that that has helped me considerably over the past, like, you know, five, six years. I think that that's something that I had to learn 
maybe the hard way, even like with talking to studio execs, talking to investors, talking to people in general, you'd be so quick to defend your movie or so quick to, you know, debates that you don't really like pin down what the real issue is. Um, And I think that that, especially for a female in the business, you, if you are really reactionary and you are, you can be considered like a bitch or like, or, you know, like you're not general stereotypes. Yeah. So like, not that I'm doing that to avoid that because I think that stereotypes are bad in general. Cause I definitely think that the way that some men act on set would never be tolerated by a woman. Mm-hmm. But I do think um, having thoughtful dialogue about movies and, and just criticism in general is, is way more helpful than everyone just yelling at each other, which is what happens a lot on movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I love what you said, thoughtful dialogue. I, yeah. I really like that. That's a great approach to have, especially when you have to tell someone no in a certain way while also still being encouraging and be like, well, look, it just, let's talk about this because here's what's up and this is why we can't do it. But what can yeah. we do? You know, I love that approach, thoughtful dialogue. That is, yeah. that is a great takeaway. Really, like, really like options too. Like, I really don't like to say, no, we can't do that unless it's outrageous. Like we want to shoot the movie in black and white or something that's like not, you know, (laughs) not going to happen because of the studio or what have you. But if there's something that like can't happen for financial or other reasons that I like to come up with before I say no, I like to come up with alternatives of like, here's like five other ways I could see this happening. Or if you want to do that, you can give up these, this other thing that I don't think is valuable to the movie or what have you, so that you don't have to, you don't have to say no, necessarily, you can have a discussion about what is possible, and maybe steal from another thing to make it happen, or if it's really that important, or have, you know, a constructive conversation about things so that you're not, like, I don't want ever want to say no to a director. Um, So I like to, but you also have restraints, you know, so you have to work within those restraints. No, and I, and I love that too, because uh, something I learned now as a locations manager, yeah. when I was a PA <laughs> for eight years, yeah. <laughs> when I was a PA for eight years, uh, you know, no one likes to hear no, especially from a PA. You can't ask a PA for something <laughs> when we say no. They don't yeah. like hearing that. But what I learned was I always say, let me get you an answer. Yeah. I'm going to get you an answer. I always sound positive about like, okay, I know it's no, but let me get you an answer. Let me, let me find out for you. Let me be sure. And yeah. I've applied that as a location manager and it's helped so much because it does apply um, a more positive response from someone, especially when they're like, we need this to happen. And it's like, well, the answer is no. And it's like, let me, let me get you an answer. And then sometimes we, we double check, we look into things and be like, is there wiggle room here? Can I really look deep at this and see if there's wiggle room? So yeah. I, I like that it does sometimes uh, help develop something into a where like, all right, I can't, quite do it how you want, but we can meet halfway. And that's better than nothing. That's better than no. Or if you really find out the root of the problem, like sometimes people just make demands for things that they don't really need or want because there's some other issue that they, that they're really, is that you, maybe you can solve that issue without giving into all the other requests, you know? Exactly. All right. Well, moving along here, you know, earlier we talked about the unexpected, you know, um, the, you know, things that just kind of come up, but I want to know as a producer, what did you want from your projects? What did you expect to happen? Or at least in terms of your career as a producer, what did you want? Well, as far as each movie is concerned, you because you spend so much time with these movies, I think people don't realize. I mean, obviously there's movies that like they get written and then they get made. And like that's really, really rare and not really how it goes. But I think in reality, like somebody writes something, there's a lot of no's, there's a lot of development, there's a lot of years that go by. And then you get to make the movie and then there's another years that go by where you're posting it, you're getting it to a festival. So it it really feels like these movies really feel like they're part of you and whether good or bad, they're like part of your history. They're part of like, I, I don't think I even, when I have a memory, it's like all based on where I, what movie I was on. So I'm like, (laughs) Oh, that was during Lizzie. So this, this, and this must've been happening or it's not like based on the year. It's like, they're all like pieces of your little moments in time. Yeah, (laughs) Because you've watched them so many times and you know, the movies so well, you are, you are more sensitive to them and you really want the best for these movies. They're, they're not your children. Like I have a child now, so I, uh, I know it's not that, but they're still for me, because I, I think that I do put a lot of, of myself into the movies and I really try to give my all to them that, um, I do really care what happens to them and the longevity of them and where they end up and 
So I don't want to just sell it and then like let it die. Like I want to stay on and help promote it and help keep it going. And yeah, so for all those all the movies that I make, I want I wanted to go to a top shelf festival or a top tier distributor, and I want I want people to watch them. I think that's a very healthy response. You have high reasonable uh, expectations of success as everyone should, especially when you're trying to put these, these pieces of art out there, you know, cinema, it lives on forever and you want it to be seen. You, you went through all that hard work. You don't want to just hoard it for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it also like when you don't meet those expectations, it feels really personal because you did spend so much time on it and you really did believe in them so much. So it it is quite devastating when something doesn't necessarily um, get the response that you had hoped. Right. Well, Liz, what motivates you as a producer? What's your drive? I mean, I would say the movies motivate me. Every time I see a movie that I'm like, oh my God, I wish I had made that or I wish I had been part of that or I can't believe that they made that. That's so amazing. Like that's what really motivates me and and really um, keeps me going. And each movie that I make, I'm like, oh, like, I, I can see different different pieces of how movies get made and, and, and how the creatives think about it. And um, it, you know, it really motivates me to, to do more and create more, um, even even if they're really hard or, you know, <laughs> or really exhausting. Um, I still like I'll get down on, you know, you get down on something and then you and then you you see a cut and you, you're like brought right back to life. You're like, oh, there it is. It's so amazing. That's awesome. But it's yeah, I mean, I'd say comedy and yeah, I, I think, I mean, there's movies over the past couple of years that, I mean, every year there's some movie where I'm like, that's genius and I can't wait to make, I work with them, you know, if that ever were to happen. <laughs> you know, it's funny too. It's a great drive, by the way. Thank you for sharing that. And and what you were saying about comedy, it's funny because a lot of people don't realize that it's way harder to make a comedy than it is a deep moving drama. Because to make someone cry, I've been told, is easy. It's it's a real actor if he can make someone laugh. Or it's a, it's a real talent for an actor to be able to make someone laugh. And the same thing, I think, applies when you're making something funny. Because you stated earlier, you know, you can't just hit your core fan base. You've got to be able to reach everyone. you got to make everyone laugh. You know, it's like stand-ups have a really hard job. <laughs> stand-ups are, I mean, I've not, like that's an insane job. They have the craziest job of all time. I do think, um, I'm not dissing dramas at all. I think making a good, making any good movie is so hard. <laughs> but uh, yes. I don't, I don't make dramas, so I don't know. But I do think comedy is very, very specific. And I do think that there's a different, like a drama on the page you can see. You, I've read so many scripts that are hilarious on the page and are just not hilarious in person or in, in the movie or when you shoot it. Um, and I think that that's where the leap of having experienced producers and experienced people because people are genuine, like comedians are genuinely funny. Like you can get a comedic writer to write jokes in a movie and it will be hilarious. And a lot of people who uh, read it will think it's funny, but then you really have to know whether or not it's going to be funny on screen. And I think that's a really difficult le- you know, thing to learn and, and thing to know. And I'm not, saying I'm super good at it. Um, but I'm definitely better at it than I was when I started my career. And I, I do think comedies are difficult. Um, I, it was funny because when I made Lizzie, which is not a comedy at all. No, um, it's I, not. Um, I, like I said earlier, like it doesn't really fit into the mold of the movies that I was making at the time or have made since. But what I really loved about it was like the message about patriarchy and uh, like the feminist kind of nature of it. Um, and so I was really drawn to that and the writing and the cast and all the people involved. But when I found myself on set and Craig McDeal is amazing director and I I adore him. Um, But I found myself being like, I have no idea how to tell, like if I can tell him anything, because I don't know, like with a comedy, I'd be like, no, you need to get this coverage or like, you know, you know, that's not working. You need to shoot an alt or whatever. But with this, I was just like, I hope, I hope this works. (laughs) Like, so helpless. I was like, it looks beautiful. And these actresses are amazing. But like, I don't know if it's going to work because I had never made a thriller before. And that, 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 like that, um, that kind of thing that has to be a, a through line in a, in a thriller that like, kind of like slight fear thing, like how you tension and what, what that actually is. Like I, that was my first experience with it. And I learned a lot, but I don't know if like I learned enough or somebody wants to hire me to do it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> or like, I feel like I hopefully um, now have like 
a, a good amount of comedies behind me where people, you know, can see that I can make one of those. Right. Well, and as I stated earlier, you know, I'm a big fan of Life After Beth because around the time that that movie came out, you know, zombie films were everywhere left and right. To this day, zombie films are everywhere yeah. left and right. TV shows. It's it's so oversaturated. And don't get me wrong. I, en- I enjoy horror. I enjoy some zombie genre here yeah. and there. But I'm just I was so burned out that when Life After Beth came along, I actually put it off probably for about two to three years. Oh, wow. And when I when I finally sat down and watched it, I was like, God, this is so refreshing. Refreshing because yeah. it's this completely different story set in this world where this outbreak is happening, but you really don't even see that until near the end. And when it happens, it's like, boom, it just happens all at once. It all comes crashing down. It's not yeah. just Beth who's undead. It's this whole world that's happening. And then just people just start showing up and they're like, oh, I'm dead. <laughs> and it's just so quirky and has cringy moments and odd moments and just very well done. Uh, to me, the humor was great because it's very dark humor and horror comedy is very hard uh, to do. And, and I'm a big yeah. fan of that genre. I love it. That was the concern for that movie, but I, I think the comedy was so consistent that it really, it really worked, but it was a tricky one for sure. Right. And you had an incredible cast in that too. And so. The cast is amazing. Yeah. It, that movie was fun to make. <laughs> um, Liz, I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank you for taking time. Um, while I know you're a mother now and you, you have a lot going on, not just with your career, but with your family life. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, I know that you've been talking this whole time, but this is a platform <laughs> for the artists. It's a platform for you. So please, if there's anything else you'd like to share, if there's anything you want to put out there, um, how people can find you and reach out to you, whether it's just to say, high or if you want to put any kind of business information out there this is your moment put it out there yeah well if anybody has any questions or anything i i'm on instagram at dustro films so that's easy and then um i think on my website there's an info at dustro films or i don't info dot dustro films at gmail i don't know you have to we'll have links in the show notes for sure (laughs) (laughs) i'll have links Um, and everything in the show notes uh, you know and uh you know i post about all the things that i have coming out or coming up um not that often i'm not super social media i'm not on it very often but when something's coming up or coming out or you know behind the scenes stills or stuff like that i'll try to post so because i know fans are interested especially in corks three people are <laughs> always looking for the oh you know, man the, the, secret, <laughs> the secret things yeah and um yeah well thank you so much for having me this was really fun i wasn't expecting to talk that much but uh i'm so glad <laughs> did. and um yeah let me know i'm around if you ever need anything well thank you very much and to all those listening out there especially to you young filmmakers uh to all the folks trying to get into this business uh i hope that you found some kind of inspiration today from what liz has shared with us uh she is successful she has made it but her journey wasn't easy as she shared all the things she had to learn and i hope that you guys are able to take that and run with it and one day be able to work right there alongside liz especially for all the young women out there trying to get into this business uh just stay true to who you are stay true to your art and keep putting yourself out there thank you guys for tuning in and until next time stay golden thanks for listening please be sure to rate and review and click that subscribe button for new bi-weekly episodes as always the theme music is provided by the erica page follow us on social media at ipa sessions podcast we're on facebook twitter instagram and now we have a tiktok and youtube all information and links are in the show notes so show some love and support for these amazing indie artists and if you'd like to come on and share your journey as an independent artist reach out to me via email at ipa sessions podcast at gmail.com till next time i hope you found some inspirations for practical application and entertainment